Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So if you want to see like a historical recreation of Rome, you can go in and walk through all the sets. No. So that's like my top, like, when you're in Rome, go do that. Don't go to the real Colosseum. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello, friends and fans, and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host, Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers, and today I have a cold, but we're doing it anyway. We are going for it. We're going to have a great time, and then I'm going to have some lem sip. It's going to be great. So today, we're talking about cinematography, and I am absolutely delighted and over the moon and beyond the stars to be joined by Elizabeth and Mike. Hello. Hello, Mike. Hello, Liz. Let's introduce you. Liz, can you give us your pronouns and tell us what you do? Uh, Yeah, so my pronouns are she, her, and I'm an editor for Rusty Quill. I particularly was working on the Magnus Archives. Wonderful. And Mike, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, I'm Mike, he, him, and I am the head of video for Rusty Quill. Fabulous, fabulous. We're going to jump right into it, and I want to ask you both, why are you interested in cinematography? Because my answer to this is very short simple. It's, I like when things look good, but I do not know how to make things look good. And so I am fascinated by how people do it. How about the two of you? What do you think? 
Well, I mean, for me, it's um, it's more about I've I've always had an interest in film, and I studied cinematography in college, um, mm-hmm. and then a little bit through uni as well, because I ended up like falling in with a load of like film students, TV students, that sort of thing. And like you, I I love to make things look good, uh, <laughs> and so yeah, that's my that's my buy-in, man. I just like making shit look cool. <laughs> and what about you, Liz? When I was at high school, I started volunteering in like the audio visual club, which was mostly because you got to leave class and not have to be in class. It was pretty amazing for that. So I got into it from a weird route in that I started filming stuff for the tech club because that seemed to be the thing I was best at. And then that be- then that turned into an interest in camera work and television. And from there, um, you know, similarly, I went to broadcasting school. From there, got into film theory and cinematography. So I went the complete opposite route of of not grounding myself in like the images first, but instead sort of grounding myself in the equipment and then realizing, oh, you can do things with this. So, yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. I had no idea you went to broadcasting school. Oh, yeah. I've, I've literally got a BBC, Bachelor of Broadcasting Communications. Okay. No way. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> no way. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah. God damn. That is cool. I'm such a I'm such a phony when it comes to that sort of stuff. I studied psychology, man. I just went and hung out with a load of people who were really cool and like usually had cameras on them and I was like, "Hey, that looks cool." And then like I ended up dating one of them and then I ended up like falling in with the rest of them. It was great. Oh yeah, yeah. But you've got all the practical experience, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean everything that I've learned about cinematography, I've pretty much taught myself over the course of like mm-hmm. a number of years, like through YouTube and then through Twitch and then through like general interest watching, listening, learning, understanding, like all all of the stuff that I've done, I've sort of developed by myself for myself. Mm. Um and that's including like all of the probably years worth of YouTube tutorials that I've watched. Oh, I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Man, <laughs> I do you know what? In prep, in prep for this episode, I was even watching some more of them. I was actually watch, I was doing a refresher course on like <laughs> angles and shooting direction and the 180 degree rule and all of that kind of noise. So yeah. What's the 180 degree rule? The 180 degree rule when it comes to shooting is when you're when you're setting up a shot mm-hmm. and you have your actors who are on the stage, you draw a line through the center of the action, however you want to use the camera, and you do not cross that line with the camera because otherwise it creates a weird sense of space distortion. So, for example, if you were shooting an interview, like where two people are talking to each other across a room, Mm. your 180-degree line might be from one person to the other because if you were to film on the other side of them, it would look like they were facing in the same direction rather than at each other. If you shoot person Mm. A from the right and person B from the right, they will both be looking away from each other when it comes to cross shots. Ah, I see. All right. So um, the next question I've got written down is what defines a perfect shot? And I feel like this might get a bit in depth <laughs> um, because now we're going to have to define what is perfection. Uh-oh. Ah. So would anyone like to take a crack at that? Uh, I can take a crack in that, well, so with what is the perfect shot, I think it really comes down to the directing style and then you've got mm-hmm. potential perfect shots in that, right? So if you've got a Wes Anderson film, mm. loads of symmetry uh, and then the colours, the palette, the things that he does in terms of, you know, like structuring what's in the scene, uh, you know, the mise-en-scene, mm. means that a lot of his films, they're, they've just got each shot is like quite beautiful in, its, in itself but it's quite unnatural. Un- you know, it's beautiful, but essentially mm, unnatural. It's the stage. Yeah. Like it's deliberately... So, wait, wait a minute. Wes Anderson, um, see the, the Royal Tenenbaums yeah. and yeah. Budapest, Grand Budapest Hotel? Yes. Yes, those are all very, very deliberate. They all have a very specific sense of aesthetic. Yeah, so, so I think mm. um, a beautiful shot is something which doesn't have anything it doesn't need in it. Mm. Uh, and I guess makes you connect in the right ways. So you've got then you've got somewhere like Igmar Bergman, where it's um, not restricted, but because it's you know black and white, and it's he he does very realistic 
uh, while a lot of his things are very realistic based, although obviously um, having death appear is not really super realistic, but his films, they're set in nature, so you might have, yeah, just things which just look very natural, but it invokes something um, emotionally mm that's uh, quite important to the storytelling. Um, and then, you know, you've got movement as well, right? So what I think of as almost a guilty pleasure in terms of cinematography is um, I really like Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> musical. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what a shout. Like, uh, it, uh, I love it. I love it. I love everything about Jesus Christ Superstar. I remember seeing it when I was a kid and it had, it was so strange to me because the setting of it is, mm. you know, when you're a kid, you don't realise that they're, they're sitting in Jerusalem now and there's X, Y, Z going on. So it's quite mm. quite a strange setting of, like, these modern people sort of get out and hang around these ruins for a bit. But there's a beautiful shot of um, Judas, who I think is, um, I can't remember his name, George or something, I think, but it's like this panning shot which where it's towards the end and it's this panning shot of him sort of singing post, um, you know, in the, the final epilogue. And he's got like a little bit of sweat on the brow and there's the people dancing behind him. But the intensity in the face that's captured at that moment mm. is just amazing. And it's also just, he's so super hot. <laughs> I just remember going, okay, yeah, my heart is my is yours. Like, my heart is yours uh, in that moment. <laughs> oh, don't worry, man. We've all had that moment in cinema at some point. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Every time I see it, either on stage or you know, something like a movie. Um, it's always the Judas that I fall for, mm. which I, I feel bad for Jesus in that sense, but the Judas is always really hot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as we've discussed in one of the other Enthusiasm episodes, villains are often extremely hot. Yeah. Oh, Mads, please live, <laughs> never leave cinema. Good Lord. <laughs> well, Mike, what do you think? Do you agree with... How do you put it, Liz? That a perfect, a beautiful shot is where. Well, I guess, I guess the three things I was thinking of is um, where the it fits the director's style. So it has, you know, like it's beautiful. It fits the scene. Yeah. It doesn't have anything unnecessary in it. Mm -hmm. It evokes emotion. Mm. Um, yeah, those kind of things. But but there's so many beautiful shots. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I agree with you, Liz. Um, like all of those things are are definitely something that really does invoke like what you may what you may conceptualize as the perfect shot. For me, it it also has to have a little sprinkle of innovation. Mm. Like for example, um, the use of Dutch tilts in Snatch, for example, where you have um, there's a scene where. Bullet Tooth Tony is pressing a desert eagle against the side of someone's head and the whole camera has sort of like moved with the action to get an extreme close-up of Sol, the guy he's pressing the gun against his face. Um, so you can see mm. all of the emotion of the three characters who are in that shot. But it's a really interesting way to use the camera and the use of lighting as well tells part of the story. And like, obviously, the actors do a really great job as well. Um, but like the fact that they're using the camera in a way that you wouldn't expect, like is sort of something that kind of adds that level of intrigue. It's a similar thing with mm. like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and the use. I can't remember the director's name, but the use of um, slide transitions and the fluid nature of like how everything everything fits together okay uh two things what is a dutch tilt what is a slide transition oh sorry yes of course i should be more specific <laughs> okay no i i am such a newbie you will have to treat me like no no it's fine you're absolutely right i should explain this <laughs> so a dutch tilt is when you tilt normally you have the camera on a fixed parabola um but when you tilt the camera slightly to the right or slightly to the left it's referred to as a dutch tilt like an Inception when they're walking Like an Inception, yeah. Walls. Inception yeah. is a absolutely prime example of this, Helen. Absolutely <laughs> peak. Yeah, because the camera is all over the place in Inception. And yes, they use Dutch tilts. The main result of a Dutch tilt is to create a sense of unease or something feeling off kilter. Mm. It's often used to show heightened emotional states. Like if someone uh, is crying or if someone's being particularly aggressive. Um, like another example is The Wolf of Wall Street, where, you know, in the bit mm. where um, 
Leo's got his face pressed right up against that guy and he's like yelling directly at him and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. The camera actually tilts with the action really subtly to give you that sense of like he's becoming unhinged. And then when it cuts mm. to um, our boy Spider-Man in the background, it tilts back again <laughs> and you'll notice that it fixes itself back at that state from that point mm. so uh, it's a cool. really cool cinematographic technique um and i i i love it <laughs> genuinely so then what's the scene transition in Scott a Hilden? slide transition so a slide transition is slide literally transition. what it says on the tin it is when a uh, a scene so where one shot and another shot slide across each other or slide with each other it's also called a push transition where it looks like one of the scenes is literally being pushed off by the next shot oh. funnily enough I actually use uh, me and Rosne actually my editor we actually use uh, push transitions quite a lot uh, when we do all the content that we do whether it's for rusty bits or <laughs> various other things or like you know twitch like when we're editing twitch and things like that it, we will use push transitions to uh swap between scenes mm. because it's a nice quick way of like moving on to something else um <clears throat> but the innovation in scott pilgrim actually comes from the fact that there's always a fluid line between two scenes like there's one of the scenes which is almost like a tumbling effect and this is a, a example of a push transition where the camera moves down but as the camera moves down the new scene slides up to meet it and what mm. connects those two things is you still have this old scene, which is now technically in the sky. And along with that, you have like, a, because Scott Pilgrim is based on a comic, they decided to incorporate like the comic book themes of like having text yeah. that moves between um, that moves between plates or that moves between... Um, the f are they called windows that text that moves between windows <laughs> as well to link those two scenes together um and yeah the the people who pulled that together like they really thought about how to incorporate this comic book style and used really cool innovative transitions to make it feel more like a comic book so mm. yeah my idea of like the perfect shot yes it has to be base it has to be relevant mm -hmm. right it has to be a shot that says everything with the use of lighting with the use of camera technique with the use of lenses um, and various other bits and pieces it has to obviously make sense the shot has to make sense whether it's fulsome or whether it's stripped down whether the director has decided to use multiple shots to show chaos in a scene and it's like cut 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 or if it's just very very simple like for example in Squid Game, where you have a really long, re relevant, I know, where you have like a really long hanging shot that just sits there for long enough to make you feel uncomfortable, then cuts away. Um, you know, it has mm. to have relevance. They do that quite often in Squid Game. There were quite a few shots where I was like, I'm looking at this person's face for a very long time. Yeah, it's, and I don't have anything else to distract me. It's another super cool way that you can use good camera work to create a sense of unease without doing anything. Mm. You can just have blankness it actually takes a lot of nerve to pull off blank space in film and mm. that's because it, you can very easily get blank space wrong but the use of it in squid game is really really cool as you say it creates this sense of unease and tension without using te uh, techniques like dutch tilts and stuff like that which is cool but like I say, in addition, it also has to have that air of innovation. So it has to be relevant, it has to tell a story, but it can also have these like interesting ways of using a camera the, or using the technology or using the lighting that you have available to add that little extra dynamic that without even knowing that it's there makes you think, oh, that's interesting. Liz, you were going to say something earlier while we were still talking about Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, sorry, Liz. Oh, I was just going to say the... So you also get uh, things like Pi where the film is known for, you know, adding a new way of filming, for example, and that was something which drew people to go see the film. Pi from Darren Aronofsky, people went to see that because the cinematography was uh, doing something that was really unique. Like he essentially invented mm. a way to to hold the camera on a person so that it follows them in a very um, 
static way. Oh, I can't think of the way to describe it. But it basically follows the the person's uh, face so that you can see their face, but it's like oh. almost steady cammed. Yes. So that I know the technique you mean. Yeah. And it's so cool. Yeah, so you've you've got those and then of course you've got the single shot films as well. So something like Russian Arc. Mm. And Russian Arc was with film, I think it was using film rather than digital, so it had to have transitions which were relevant to, I think it's about, uh, is it 40 minutes that film canisters used to do? But they would have to make it so that the transition was seamless for the film canister, so that as it, so when they would do a restart, it would be able to restart and be blended in accurately, but with you know something like Russian Ark, it has such a huge cast, mm. uh, it's it's a, I mean, it's a wonderful film if you've got a chance to see it. It's basically looking at Russian history by being in one of the palaces there and having characters kind of pop up and in and out. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a really fun one to watch. But, I mean, I think, was it Dunkirk recently? Is that the right one, where it's also a single-shot film? Yeah. Oh, uh, is might, it Dunkirk or 1917? 1917. Was it, was it single-shot? Yeah. Oh, nice. And so you've got to do all those techniques too. And I think it's more easy now with digital, but, you know, when you're back when you're using mm. film to do that, um, and I shouldn't say more easy, it's still difficult. Like those <laughs> those types of films, single shot films, where you're not using CGI to build out the scene, mm. are still very difficult. So bless anyone who does it. I was going to say, Liz, cutting back to something you said earlier, um, you're probably going to have to explain what a film canister is because... To, I mean, chances are there might be people who have no idea what a film canister is. Is it not just a canister that has the film in it? Literally. Reel to reel, baby. And of course, um, you know, to fit it onto a film camera, you'd have to, you know, you, you it's a very manual process of like threading the film through. Mm. That has a certain length, like that it couldn't go past because the canisters just weren't you mm. know, built to hold it in the film for whatever reason, I, you know, potentially tension, all those sorts of things that you used to get, you know, they could only go for a certain length. length so um, that that used to be filmmaking. You couldn't just have something going for ninety minutes. <laughs> that was because that's the thing that I'd always look for actually when I was uh, in the cinema, is the cigarette burn for the canister changeover. Ah. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. Oh man, yeah. it used to be in the top right hand corner, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember left or right now, but it used to be, I mean, I think so much of it's digital now that you just go to the cinema and mm. everything's um, now presented digital. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was still, there would be a transition between the two reels, which mm. was indicated by the cigarette burn. There's something so visceral and so nice about shooting on film, though, right? It's it's just a different, it's hard to explain. It's just a different experience. Mm. Like, I haven't had much experience of shooting on actual 40 millimeter um, because most of my life has been shooting on DSLRs and uh, various other things. I did used to shoot on mini DV back in the day, though, which were these teeny tiny little tapes, um, which you would then put in a special machine, which would magic it digital. <laughs> that was the technique uh, that we used. We magicked everything to make it go onto the computer. <laughs> A wizard did it. Yeah, we literally we just had people who would sit in these rooms, and you wouldn't talk to the people in these rooms, but they knew how <laughs> to do the stuff. And it was like Gollum; you would just a hand would reach out and pull in your mini DVs, <laughs> and then you'd have like a, later that day, you would just have a disc that would appear on a desk in an unmarked envelope. Like, <laughs> you know, very sinister. Those were the days. Film was. Um... Yeah, I mean, people still still shooting it, but when you think about, you literally just have all these processes that are gone now, right? Like, so checking that the gate is clear um, is just mm. something that doesn't happen, and that was checking that there was no hair or lint or other material that had gone between the lens and the film, mm. um, and that used to happen after each um, scene was. I think after you do each shot from a certain angle, you would check that the gate was clear before you'd wow. carry on because you were changing. Can, uh, cans every fairly regular as well, I'm sure. Can I mention briefly, because like I say, I don't know the names for any of these things, but um, I've noticed something in both of um, Ari Aster's films in Hereditary and Midsummer. both times. He's done this sort of upside down shot in Hereditary. Tony Collette is walking down the corridor and the camera angle slowly tips and like follows her, it's like it's, it's like it's flat against the ceiling, yep. and goes upside down, and then she continues. And the same thing happens in Midsummer when um, they enter the, uh, I think I think they're Swedish, like the Swedish cult, 
and everything sort of tips upside down and as you watch the the van go down the road and in both of those things it's it's there to i think mark a a major change in the film in hereditary the change from weird stuff going on to okay this is this is demons <laughs> <laughs> and in midsummer the change from we're in the real world to we're in a weird world I don't know if either of you have seen those films or if you can tell me what that technique is called, this this flipping thing. Well, I, I don't know whether you, it would be referred to as anything other than another type of Dutch tilt, potentially, but um, ah. I've, I've seen Midsummer. I haven't seen the other one, and I do very enjoy Midsummer. While we are talking about uh, films that we enjoy, do any of you have a film that's like, that you just think is beautiful? That, you know, you just think that the cinematography of it is just makes it stand out? More than others that you've seen. I mean, yeah, uh, mine are pretty <laughs> though. Um, like, I, the, <laughs> don't say that. The, no, they are. Like the the film that because I think that a lot of cinema is quite beautiful. There, are, the difference hmm. for me between a film that is visually pleasing and a film that is beautiful is in the art design. So, Free Guy is a very visually pleasing film because it has lots of elements in there that are really nice to look at. It's very bright, it's very vibrant. Not very much interesting stuff happens with the camera work though. Mm. Like there's there's no interesting and different uses of like cinematographic bits and pieces. Like there's no um styles of using gimbal mounted cameras in specific ways to create like, you know, certain effects and blah blah blah. The Matrix films, again, very visually pleasing. Lots of innovative stuff, like the classic, you know, Neo spinning around on the pole and all of that kind of stuff. Great. Mm. Not what I would describe as a beautiful film. Mm. The Grand Budapest Hotel, beautiful film. Mm. The way they use colour, the way they use light, the way they create intrigue with the camera, beautiful film, Like in, in my opinion. Oh. Um uh, also, um, Blade Runner, the new one with Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Beautiful film. The the hanging shots, the use of colour palette, the symbology of it all, like the way that they construct each of those images so you can pause at any point and it's like an art piece that you would hang on a wall or have as a desktop background. Beautiful film. Hmm. Even Squid Game, I would argue, is quite beautiful because of the yeah. way they use light, the way they use color, the way that they cre- they create this harsh environment by keeping the camera right in people's faces when they mm. really want you to focus in on something and then pull it all the way back when they want you to see the, the gravity of the situation. Yes. Beautiful. Like that for me is the difference is when you can have something that's good and you can have something that's stylized and you can have something that's technically a very, very interesting thing. But at the same time, Mm. it doesn't add that element of beauty. But I think that that's because beauty for me is kind of like all of these little nuts and bolts Mm. that come together to create this bigger picture that is painted in your audience mind. And it looks like it was effortless, but the amount of work that went into constructing that one shot must have been immense. Yeah. On that, I think we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then, Liz, I would love to hear from you about what you think is a beautiful film. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Ben Meredith. Today's episode is supported by Realms of Peril and Glory, a new actual play podcast made by the team at Light and Tragic, where each season is an exciting new story told collaboratively around the table. You can listen to the first season, Veil, right now. It's an epic mystery thriller set in New Harbour, a city of magic, monsters and machines with new hilarious and heartfelt episodes every Wednesday. Each episode features beautiful sound design and a custom score. Not only that... You may even catch some familiar guest voices from Rusty Quill making an appearance. We particularly enjoyed the episode Open Night at Café Pirelli with all of its accordion jazz and are excited to hear upcoming entries such as You Awaken in a Strange Place, The Witch is Dead and A Christmas Caper, as well as even more rich and varied stories coming in 2022. You can find and listen to Realms of Peril and Glory right now at lightandtragic.com forward slash Rusty Quill or anywhere you listen to your favourite podcasts. Our thanks to Realms of Peril and Glory for their support. And welcome back. So, Liz, please, please, please tell me what you think is a beautiful film in terms of cinematography. Like, what stands out for you? So I think the one that really stands out is Death in Venice in terms of the attempt to make every shot uh, look as beautiful as possible, like a... um, literally like a sort of masterpiece painting. Mm. Uh, it's Visconti, I think, and it's like around nine, early 1970s. And, 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 you know, it's contrasting the beauty of the city with the illness that's happening on and also the, you know, strange obsession that this guy s- builds towards another guest at the hotel. Uh, so, oh, yes, it's a horrible, yeah. horrible story. <laughs> So that that to me is like, in terms of uh, something that's just beautiful to watch, uh, that is one. Um, I really like as well The Conformist for a black and white. Uh, it's mm. uh, Actually, when I was in Rome, um, I went to some of the buildings where The Conformist was filmed. And The Conformist, I don't know if you've, if you've not seen no. it, it's about the, uh, I think, I better get this right, but I think it's... Um, at the time, it's sort of set in Italy, and it's um, the guy is conforming to whoever is in power at the time. Is essentially what why it's called the conformist, mm. and he's working with the fascists, I believe. So he's he's hu- helping them hunt down people who um, might have opposing views, and then of course the regime changes um, towards the end. It's a beautiful film, though, in terms of the way it's shot. Uh, it's It's got these very stark sort of black and white shots. It's using this architecture of the time, uh, which 
was this, these grand, grand buildings, um, which were beyond what you kind of needed. It's So that's another really uh, beautiful film as well um, in terms of mm. just black and white, which you you know you might not have seen before. Love a bit of brutalism in cinema. Yeah. Love a bit of brutalism. Who doesn't love brutalism? <laughs> I don't think, to be fair, I actually don't think there are that many people who would say they don't like brutalism. I mean, just look at Red Faction Gorilla and all of that sort of stuff. Like, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a Bioshock, any of the Bioshocks, yeah. <laughs> in terms of visiting places, Rome is a really great place to stop off if you can to look at uh, film locations as well, they've got a place called Cine City, I think. Cine City. So it's Cinema City, but, um, you know, Italian. Mm. Uh, and it's where they shot the TV series Rome. It's where they've shot a number of other series. Oh. Um, so if you want to see, like, a historical recreation of Rome, you can go in and walk through all the sets. No. So that's, like, my top, like, when you're in Rome, go do that. Don't go to the real Colosseum. <laughs> <laughs> But it is. It's really fun. It's a really fun place to go have a wander if you've um, got a spare day in in Rome. I really recommend it. I would really like to go to Rome. There are so many places I'd like to visit in Italy. Yeah. I'm trying to think about films that I think are beautiful now. And the ones that come to mind are just the ones that I find very visually striking. My aesthetic is very much just like anything that makes me sort of sit up and pay attention. So I'm thinking of films like uh, The Crow. Yes. Like I'd never seen anything so stark and sort of awful looking before. Do you know what I mean? Like that entire film just feels horrid and dark and sad. Mm. And then I think about, um, I love Guillermo del Toro's work. Yeah. The director. Pan's Labyrinth is some of the most striking scenes in it. But I remember so many scenes of that film with like just 100% accuracy because I'd never seen anything like that before. And then you've got something like The Haunting. I don't know if, Liz, you said that you were into, while we're in the break, you said you were into older films. Um, Have you seen the 1960s version of The Haunting? I don't think so. Um, No, 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 no. That's a really interesting one in terms of the way that the, the set is set up. Because the whole point of this house is that it's meant to feel weird. Everything is at a slightly odd angle. Like the mirror is slightly tilted forward so it doesn't show the reflection that you think it should show because it's not it's not tilted forward enough that you can tell that it's tilted. But it's enough so that you're like, oh, that's showing the floor, but it should be showing the table. Hmm. And stuff like that. And all, and all the angles are kind of bizarre. Mm, yeah. And it's all in black and white. And everything feels off about it. There's also realism versus like things that are more unreal, like something like Peter Greenaway with uh, the cook, the thief, his wife and her like, her lover, something like that. Ooh. I can never remember the, the 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 name of it exactly. But as they move between rooms, like everything moves from being all in white to being all in red. So the transition mm. is as someone walks through the doorway, they're changing outfits to an essentially exactly the same outfit, but a different oh, colour. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, like cool. there's just some great, you know, and that's that thing about Wes Anderson. I just love that really stylized. I love something that's quite stylized mm. like that mm. because you remember it. It's like the Pan's Labyrinth thing with the character with the eyes in his palms. Once you've seen mm. that, you don't forget that. Yes, that's exactly the kind of thing <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, you look at something like the original Blade Runner and you've got the shot of the eye, you know, this close-up yes. of an eye and you can see the city reflected and what that story is about is like, you know, essentially the search for God. But but what you have is this establishing shot of someone taking in this city and it's being reflected only in their eyes. So they have this very big, big, um, you know, God-like almost character to that, to that moment. Mm. Uh, and mm. of course, the story revolves around people being identified as being um, a replicant or not via their eyes. Yeah. Uh, but it's just nicely done like it's a nice shot but you're not thinking about why they've done it uh, until you really start to analyze the film later and you go oh okay so that makes sense you know it's like a a perspective thing of this kind of being above everything and watching and it's also that you know on top of that you've got the difference between class and Blade Runner of like the very rich compared to the very poor and and the fact Mm. that height um, you know where you live in the city matters and, and things like that I've just thought of another contender for a film that I thought was really quite beautiful um, it's called Equilibrium. Oh, yeah. 
I've heard of Equilibrium, but that one with um, the one with Christian Bale, and it's it's set in a future where nobody's allowed to have any emotions. Like they found a yeah. drug that stops you from feeling strong emotions. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's very yeah yeah very stylistic yeah yes extremely stylistic and there's um this one particular scene where uh the main character has come off these drugs and um he's been woken up by the sunrise and he just tears the he has like a some kind of covering on his windows and he just tears it off frantically and then stands there and he's like covered in like rainbow light and he just starts crying because he's forgotten what it feels like to see a sunrise Oh, damn. Um, yeah. That, for me, is extremely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, you've got a, you could do a whole, epi- a whole episode. You could do, you know, a whole hour on just colour in film, right? Like, yeah. you could. Uh, oranges and, and gold. Gold. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The oranges in um, <laughs> The Godfather, like, to indicate when something bad is about to happen. Yeah. I think Emperor of the Sun has this beautiful, beautiful colour play in it um obviously peter greenaway with the cook the thief his wife and her lover i hope i've said it right that time (laughs) uh yeah color color has so much um so much resonance and it's Mm. also based on culture so you know Mm. certain things when you're watching films maybe from a different culture you, you know there might be color play that you're not even realizing that's there yeah, just because like different. I think white meat is actually um, associated with death in some cultures versus um, you know in Western culture we often think of it as being black is associated with death, but I think mm. white is yeah. associated in other cultures as as the color to do with death. That is interesting. I hadn't thought of color theory in that way, but of course it's being used. Oh, color theory! Color theory is is now that if you've just realized this i'm really excited for what happens next because the next film you watch <laughs> you'll look for it and like there are very key films like i keep talking about blade runner but blade runner the new one with ryan gosling <laughs> um <clears throat> this one is uh, that is like a film that was uh, there were lots of articles written about that film mm. because of the use of color mm. mainly orange but like you know because of the way that they used color palettes to sort of portray different things color can do so much it can portray emotions yeah um you know for example you have well i mean obviously like the primary colors but you have red for you know when people are feeling angry or you have blue for when people are feeling sad i mean that's a very base level example yeah all the way up to umbrella academy where there's a scene in a store what oh god i don't know how many spoilers to give away <laughs> there's there's a there's a scene in a store where one of the main characters is stood in this store and you know it's a closed store with no access to the outside and yet the colors in the background are blue and red because there's a police investigation going on mhm when you think about it and you rationalize it, you know there is no way that police lights could be in here, but the DUP, the director of photography, has put those lights in specifically oh. to add to this like CSI style, the police are here, they're doing an investigation, even though it's called non-diegetic, even though you there is uh-huh. no way that they could exist in there. Those lights are there. Um, that's super cool I mean it, it trickles down from cinema into YouTube as well if you look at the way mm. certain YouTubers light their backgrounds and light their shots it's prime colour theory but it's using cinematographic techniques like for example yeah. the kind of shades of colour that you want to use in order to portray a specific kind of emotion in the video that you're producing mm. um, like it's so cool and now you've seen it you'll notice like some characters always have a certain light on their face or on their mm. on their person or their costume or whatever like there are so many subtle ways that cinematographers will add color into a scene to symbolize something um i think they even did it in the grand budapest hotel i remember watching that and thinking oh that's really interesting that that's that color and then noticing <laughs> later in the film that that color theme continued um mm. yeah it's it's fascinating but as liz said (laughs) you genuinely could have an entire hour just dedicated to color theory (laughs) and film we are starting to come to the end of the episode no are we nearly done i know oh man (laughs) i know i'm sorry i'm so sorry this is the only time we get to hang out i'll have to go back to my editing dungeon i'd stream on my own helen help (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll come fetch you out sometime. Yay. I promise. I'll rescue you. Yay. Um, I want to end on uh, a little look into the future. I'd like to know if there are any films coming up that, that you're, or, or, t- or TV shows or animations um, that you're looking forward to seeing because you think they look like they're going to look cool. I think there's one that may be on everyone's minds right now. Liz, I don't know if you want to go first. <laughs> I'm going to assume that you might be referring to June. I, yes, I am very heavily yeah. oh. referring to June. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the only cinema date I've got coming up, actually, which is very sad, but I suppose it's like um, uh, just happens to be, you know, you get out of going to the cinema for a while, you get out of going to the cinema. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like June, I'm looking forward to, um, yeah. So is that the same for both of you? No, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm actually the same. June is like the big <laughs> one that's on my calendar at the moment. Um, you know, alongside obviously the hit 2022 release of Clifford the Big Red Dog, <laughs> but like <laughs> color theory. But June, June certainly is like right up there. And also, actually, to be fair, there's the House of Gucci with Adam Driver. Mm. Um, I saw an advert for that. The I think it was I think it was a few months ago, and it looks it looks really interesting. But um, I I don't mm. know what that's going to be like at all. <laughs> I, I think I play catch up too often. You know, where you're like, oh, I didn't get around to seeing that film, <laughs> so you're like got a list from about ten years ago of like, oh, I still have to see yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. All been there. <laughs> I'm actually um, I'm hoping to see uh, Gawain and the Green Knight on friday oh cool oh, yeah i'm really looking forward to that not and partly I, and you're right now i am thinking about color theory because i remember studying it in the original like middle english and how there's an entire verse describing how green the night is cool right, and yeah. he's going oh yes his face was green and his beard was green and his eyes were green and his nose was green and his body was green and his hat was green and his horse was green. And yeah. it just goes on and on like that for the lines. Dabba dee, dabba die, dabba dee, dabba die. Can, can we do... Can we do an episode just of medieval stuff? Because I studied medieval and Middle English, so I need someone to talk to about these topics. <laughs> <laughs> no way! Uh, yeah, so uh, just two two semesters, but um, it's fun stuff, but... Because green has a very specific, yeah, they they have very specific color theory, which is not the same as what we have today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, nice. Yeah. I shall add that to my list. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I think that looks like a very, very beautiful film. Oh man, oh, there is one more film that I'm looking forward to. Oh yeah, yeah, the new Spider Man, uh. <laughs> No Way Home. Oh yes, which I forgot to mention. How could we forget little Tom Holland? Hey. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, little Tom Holland. Oh, little Tom Holland. <laughs> Our little superstar. He's from the UK, don't you know? <laughs> so, Helen, what uh, what are you going to watch for Halloween? Uh, I'm going to watch um, The Guy Who Didn't Like Musicals. Yes. That's, that's you, a, yes. Yes, we watched it, didn't we, Mike? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> lots of blue, lots of blue in that lots one. Lots of blue. <laughs> and um, then I think we're going to watch The Descent. Right, oh, okay, which uh, solid shout is notorious for being extremely dark. I am. I'm going to try to catch up on some classics, which I haven't quite seen yet. Mm. So, you should watch The Haunting. I will. That's on my list now. I've written that down. Yeah, don't watch the 1999 one with um, Liam Neeson and Owen Wilson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh my lord! What? <laughs> okay. I mean, I love it. I love a bit of Owen Wilson, but yeah. I mean, okay. you can you can watch it, but just know that's not the proper one. <laughs> I mean, the only time to re- watch a remake is if Nicolas Cage is in it. Yeah. Ve- <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Very fair. We all love a bit of Nicolas Cage. Um, okay. We're definitely at the end of the episode now. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for this. This has been a really cool, like, chill episode. I've learned so much. It's been great. Hey, thanks for having us, man. It's been really fun. This has been so much fun. (laughs) I've loved this. Genuinely, I've really loved this. Aw. Well... Thank you to the listener for coming along with us. I hope you've got some uh, film recommendations that you've learned some things as well. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from them. Do you want to say goodbye, you two? Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See you. See you. See you. Later. Bye. See you. Bye. <laughs> 
Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Vroom, Jeffrey Nils Gardner and Catherine Ranella. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello all, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and the host and director of Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about The Programme. The Programme audio series is a science fiction anthology podcast set in a world where money, state and God are fused into a single entity. Every episode is a standalone story featuring ordinary people inhabiting this extraordinary world. And for them, it's not the future that is terrifying but our present. The programme is sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but it is always smart. Find out more about the programme at www.rustyquill.com or www.programaudioseries.com or search for the programme audio series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have fun and enjoy the episode.